serves. This is Sir Gene with your morning update in the afternoon. This is Sir Gene, and with me is always is a Sir Dude Named Ben Named Ben. See, I got your name right today. Hey, finally. Yeah, it only took, what, three months? <laughs> it's all good, man. Oh, it'll be wrong again next time, don't worry. Yeah. How are you today? Man, it has been a busy, busy week. Yeah, that's what yeah. you said last week. Can't well, use the same thing over coming. and over again. Well, this week was busy keeping up with the news, though. I mean, oh, shit. busy in, uh, in that sense. I see. Yeah, Shinzo Abe, the Japanese dude that got killed. Yeah, what about him? Well, I'm just curious. Is this going to be the Archduke Ferdinand moment? Well, uh, we are in a quickening. So, and what do you exactly mean by quickening? It started. I never watched Highlander, so if that's the reference, it's lost on me, man. You should watch Highlander. It's a little little goofy, but it's it's a fun movie. Yeah, I had cousins that were very much into the Highlander movies, and I just mm. never, never followed suit. If you got some time in the afternoon sometime, or plane flight for that matter, might be something <laughs> to watch. Maybe. We'll, we'll, see if, we'll see if I can even put my headphones on on this plane flight. Well, uh, maybe not this one. <laughs> maybe yeah. a different one. Yeah, maybe. It You're going off on vacation, I hear. Yeah, I'm going to go not be at 100 degree plus weather. We're going to be, gonna be at 98 degrees. To, <laughs> no, 90. 90 is going to be the oh, high 90. the entire oh, time we're there. Bad. So that's, that's bad like way better than, you know, the 106 that's going to be here today. Yes. This yes. is seriously the hottest summer I remember here. Well, when I first moved to Austin, I think 11 years ago, it was 100 days over 100 degrees. I don't know if we hit 106. We might have during that time. But I remember that year was the year that convinced me I need a boat. Yeah. Mm hmm Well, I'm probably going to sell mine. So how's that? Oh, yeah, well, I already sold mine a few years ago. So, yeah, yeah. That, that does happen on the regularity. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll get another one later. But, mm -hmm. yeah, with the kids as little as they are right now, my boat's really... I bought it years ago just for me as a fishing mm -hmm. boat, but you know, it's not really a family boat. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's, I, I think boats will probably get cheap as a lot of people start selling them when the economy tanks is tanking. Well, tanks to the degree where people are literally going to be out of money. Well, are you paying attention to the housing market? Not really. Well, it's flipping quick. Like, it is moving away from a seller's market very, very quickly. Mm, interesting. I wonder um, if Austin's still affected at all or not. Well, I don't think College Station or Austin are affected yet. But, mm -hmm. the, I mean, many areas across the country. My mom's a realtor, so she keeps mm. track of all of this. And apparently mm -hmm. it is moving very quickly. And the amount of people who can qualify for loans is shifting as interest rates are shifting. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A few yeah, points totally. on interest rate really matters if you don't have much of a down payment. Well, it matters even if you do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's literally well, <clears> doesn't <throat> how many points is it to double the amount of lifetime payments over 30 years? I don't remember, but you know, th the average person thinks of a mortgage very differently than you and I, or I right? It's the mm -hmm. same way people think of a car payment, which mm -hmm. is unfortunate. You know, they they're just looking at what that payment is a month. They don't really care how long or whatever else, which is mm -hmm. why you have fifty year mortgages coming 50 out. Fifty now. Shit, I didn't even know that. Yeah. 
they they are there was one news story about 50 year mortgages in the UK that you could inherit. Mm. Which that's, wow. that's a wonderful thing. So you can pass on your debts to your children. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. The, what could possibly How long go until wrong they start shipping this? people to Australia? <laughs> again, yeah. Yeah, again, yeah. exactly. Debtors prisons. We'll, we'll, mm-hmm. I, 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 I will predict now, debtors prisons will come back. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, we've never lost them here in the U.S. Mm. How so? Oh, plenty of people are in prison for not paying taxes. Oh, taxes, yes. Yeah. Tax evasion is the one debt you can go to prison for. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> well, was debtors prison in the UK just for private companies? I thought that was also for government related payments. There were several different aspects. I'd have to go back and look at history to mm. be sure. But I've never I, really looked into it. I just I always just assumed it was money owed to the Queen, and the Queen can throw you into Australia. Well, let's look. All right. Well, here you look at that. I'm going to grab a cup of tea yeah that'd be very entertaining audio i'm sure so debtors prisons for people who are unable to pay debt well duh so yeah it was for commercial debt essentially there was no way to declare bankruptcy and it could also be for criminal fees in the u.s a debtors prison would be considered for like child support would be the only Oh, child support. That civil makes duty one mm-hmm. here. But yeah, no, in, in Europe, there was a history of instead of bankruptcy, you went to a debtor's prison. Makes sense. For private debt. Speaking of prison, there was a guy named, well, he had a YouTube channel called FPS Russia. I don't know if you've ever seen yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. It was a really fun channel because he got to play with some really fun toys, a lot yep. of guns. And he, he, the guy's name was Kyle, but he created this Russian character where he did a fake Russian accent oh, yeah, a little bit, I'm pretty sure. But I always liked the guy, it, and, and I think I still have one of his shirts, a t-shirt somewhere. But I mean, he, made, he was one of the big, I think he had the, he was in the top five YouTube channels back when he was on. Mm-hmm. He's making real YouTube, money uh, off YouTube. When YouTube would allow such things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool gun stuff. And now, last week, I watched some videos of him post-prison, and the guy is a wonderful storyteller. He's just got a ton of stories of his prison experience, because he got railroaded into going to prison. Mm -hmm. What what did he go to prison for? He went to prison for having, like, a quarter ounce of marijuana. Okay. That's typically not Mm a lengthy prison sentence in the U.S. at this point. And I don't think it's any prison sentence in the U.S. at this point, but... Depends on where you are, um, yes. They were basically saying, look, we can take all your stuff and then come up with a whole bunch of charges related to guns for on you. Or you can plead guilty to this one. It's up to you. And we can take all your stuff. They, they said they took $800,000 worth of guns and that Fuck. he will never get back. That, that just hurts. He seemed to be okay with it. I, I don't know how, but okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and he's a felon, so. Yeah, he so can't, he can't own guns anymore no. anyway. Mm-mm. But he did mention that he's a really good bow and arrow shot now. Yeah, I mean, okay. I, You know, felonies, I, I don't think necessarily felonies should disqualify you from voting or gun ownership, depending on what the felony was. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think that you have to, 
the whole story about prison and what we're trying to do is reduce the recidivism rate, right? We're trying to reconcile and... I thought we were trying to teach new skills to prisoners how to be better prisoners. Well, there is the forced labor laws, but, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think if there's not a redemptive path, then you're just really forcing people into bad situations. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I don't think know. That, I think that's kind of what their point is, is that's what they're trying to do. I, I, I don't think that is the stated purpose of prisons, but okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's the actual purpose. I think it's what happens. But, you know, I I, I think restricting someone's rights arbitrarily for, you know, let's say someone commits a financial crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why should they be removed of their rights to own bare arms? You know. As a punishment. But it's a punishment that makes no sense, right? If someone commits a violent act, someone murders someone. It's or, an unrelated punishment. Well, it's a removal of a right for no, in my mind, just cause. Sure, sure. But like, how about whipping? Do you think whipping would be an appropriate form of punishment for certain crimes? You mean like a flogging? Yeah, flogging, whipping. Sure. Sure. Canine tailing, whatever you want to call it. I, I, I think in up until modern history, punishment was very different than what it looks like today. You know, the, the term cruel and unusual punishment is very dependent upon the era and history in which you mm-hmm. live. Yeah, like I think the reason I brought that up is because I think most people would say that flogging, whipping, whatever, would be cruel and unusual. But removing a, a man's right to own a gun for the rest of his life is not cruel. Well, now, I would say it's the other way around. Yeah, I mean, you ask, do I'd I want to... Would yeah. you rather get whipped or lose your guns for a lifetime? Well, or, you know, take XYZ lashings or mm-hmm. go to prison for a year or whatever it mm-hmm. is, you know, I, I, I'll take it, you know? Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're masochists, Gene, so. Well, true enough. But, uh, <laughs> but I think. Harder, you bastard. Harder. <laughs> Sorry. Is that all you got? <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Go to hell for that one. We go to hell plenty of other things too. Oh um, yeah. Anyway, so I I think that there's a. Well, I got onto the topic simply by saying that if anybody hasn't, if you know who Kyle is or you 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 watched FBS Russia, you'd probably enjoy listening to his prison tales, because he is just a great. He does all the voices. Like the fake Russian accent isn't the only one he can do. He can do a Hispanic accent. He can do a black accent. And boy, does he. And his stories are just fun. They're interesting to hear. Like he, when he got into prison, you know, you hear the thing about how, well, you gotta, you gotta find the meanest, baddest looking dude and then get in the fight with him. Yeah. So this is actually kind of interesting. Does, is this a YouTube channel or what? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's not his channel. He was on another show with like a bunch of other gamers. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when I guess he was on there before the prison thing, <laughs> after he came back, that naturally was the topic of conversation. So this this brings up an interesting point. So is that channel monetized? I think so. So there are laws in the U.S. that prevent you from profiting from a crime so i don't know it's mm-hmm. it's always interesting when you see stuff like orange is new black and or kaczynski publishing a book and mm-hmm. you know uh, 
how loosely enforced those laws are, but they exist. I think there's a difference between profiting from the crime and profiting from the prison experience. Like writing a book about your heist would be one thing. Writing a book about what happened after you got caught, I think isn't covered by that. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because like industrial society in its future is still available and in print. I don't think Kaczynski gets any of that, but because that's directly related to, you know, the bombings. Kaczynski could write a book about his prison experience. Yeah, he, he writes a lot I, of philosophy, though. I know there are a lot of people in prison that have published in the past. Hmm. So anything else in the news happened this week that you might want to talk <clears throat> about? Let me think. Well, the, the Guidestone getting blown up, that's obviously the beginning of the quickening. Dude, that that actually, I, I was talking to people about that this week, and I, I first of all, it's shocking to me how few people know what the Georgia Guidestones are. Me too, dude. I was talking to my ex-wife yesterday, and she's like, what are those? I'm like, you gotta be shitting me. Yeah. It's a it's amazing how few people realize you know the globalist monument that it was mm-hmm. and you know the relations there. But so the Georgia Guidestones being taken down and demolished, I think that's really a pretty bold statement of our time. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a. I mean, I it's very symbolic the video. It's it is, but that's all it is. It's just symbolic. Like the, nobody's hurt. Nothing happened. It was basically. It's it. It is like in a lot of movies, at least the way it looks like right now, that that first step of we're not going to take it anymore. Yeah. A statement of defiance. It is a statement of defiance. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. And it is, you know, it's not blowing up a building with a bunch of people in it, which the government seems to do without too much care. It's mm-hmm. It's really more... It is a statement. I mean, it's, it is like, you'd have to go out there and do this. It's not going to happen casually. It has to be planned. There is no like, well, I just happen to be walking by with some dynamite, but I think it's pointing a finger very directly at the people responsible for the current collapse of society. Absolutely. So we've talked about this on the show previously, but who do you, uh, who's your top person that you think was involved with the guidestones in the creation of them oh i i i really have no idea no theories not really i mean this is it happened so long ago that i i was not really tracking that topic back then come on you're like 120 yeah you you weren't paying attention in 1979 no, I, I had other thoughts on my mind in 79. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If you remember the 70s, you weren't really there, right? <clears throat> yeah, I've heard that before, yeah. <laughs> no, I think the, look, there there have always been the, the Schwab Klaus's types. We've seen them in Bond movies in the past. That, that didn't come out of thin air. Mm, I agreed. There's an archetype there. Yeah, and uh, certainly, oh, what's his name? The Hungarian dude. Uh, he was around back then. Um, George Soros. Soros was around back then. Yeah, you know, there was there was plenty of people that fall into the category of post country kind of mentality. Like they've gotten so rich that countries don't really mean much. Governments don't mean much. Borders don't mean much. 
they they saw themselves truly as citizens of the world. Yeah, well, and when this was put up, that there was the whole movement for like Esperanza and everything else, mm-hmm. and, and really the massive, massive globalist push of getting those ideas out there. And I think that we were trying to move the U.S. to metrics. Yes. Well, there was also the idea of the North American Union being floated and mm-hmm. the Amero, all that. Was it 79? I thought it was 83, but... I would... I mean, we can... You know, you can consult the We can probably Google that. Yes, exactly. You know, Tragedy and Hope was written in 66, and that really was the start of a lot of that movement. That was that book Obama read? No, A Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley, who was... I'm I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. No, what was the book that... But there is a similar sounding book name that Obama wrote, right? Hope, Hope of My Fathers or something? I, I, I can Yo, you promise you Obama's I've never book. read one of Obama's books. Okay. 1980, yeah. It was in the 1980. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the planning and the original commission of it, I think, was started in 79, though. Mm. Because the, the, the way the Georgia Guidestones came about, for those who don't know, was essentially someone gave a lawyer a bunch of money and told them to go buy this land and mm-hmm. to erect this monument. And we have no idea who the person who actually paid for it was. Interesting. Yeah. It's then in secret uh, on private land, just all of a sudden, boom, Georgia Guidestones are there. Right. I mean, clearly what we now see is this is an art piece, not anything that was truly meant to survive nuclear war. Well, I mean, it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's not like it's going to be hit by, you know, a bomb. And any stone monument or anything like that would likely survive given if, you know, if it's not at ground zero. Mm-hmm. So meant to survive time, weather, and things like that, not necessarily a direct hit. So people making those jokes, it's kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know. Should have been made out of carbon fiber. You you mean graphene? Yes, oh. Ian, made out of graphene. Yeah. I tried to watch Tim Cast last night, but yeah, Jesus, I watched, I watched was, a little bit of it. Yeah, uh, I was not. The graphene thing is really getting old. The yeah. look on Ian's face is what makes this so funny because he's so fucking serious looking. If if somebody doesn't know what we're talking about, Tim Cast has a show done daily by Tim Pool and has a regular on it named Ian. Can't remember his last name, but he is the sort of the token crazy guy that will just say things that start off sounding like he's going somewhere you know relevant and quickly take a left turn and everyone's going what what the hell did he just say i i think i think this is why luke's on there only occasionally because he cannot deal with being around ian full-time yeah well anyway he had hotep jesus on there last night yeah and i watched that guy before yeah, me too. And there, there's lots of things that he covers that I find interesting. And it's him coming to, you know, he, he brought up what was the, oh my God, the agreement. Which one? I, I, I was going to go down this whole road and make a point. And now I'm mm. just absolutely blanking. The agreement in 1940 basically made the U.S. the reserve currency of the world. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the name of it. 
that we won the war bitches agreement more or less mm-hmm. anyway uh i've lost that train of thought so never mind okay yeah well that was one of the things that my ex-wife bro mentioned which she is keeping up i guess is the the bricks thing mm-hmm. and how when in western media you see well russia is being isolated by the rest of the world like the rest of the world, dude, BRICS is literally over half the population of the planet. So what rest of the world? Yeah. I mean, BRICS is also growing, which is interesting. And by the mm-hmm. way, it was the Britain Woods Agreement. Good God. Mm. The Britain Woods I, Agreement. I did go. not know that name, so I couldn't have helped you. Really? Mm-mm. Definitely something to look at. The Britain Woods Agreement basically established the current monetary system globally and replaced gold as a means of exchange between nations with the U.S. dollar. It's how it's the actual international agreement that created the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency. Yeah. So previously to Britain Woods, it was, you know, if you were exchanging currencies between nations, it was literal gold movement that was happening. Right. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. Hmm. Well, and I can definitely exchange my rubles for gold. I don't know if you're legally allowed to in the U.S. No, I'm not. I'm not legally allowed to. I mean, I theoretically, I can exchange them. I have no access to my rubles right now. Yeah, that, which they're digital, so mm-hmm. that, that that's one thing that I've never understood on currency trading and people who buy, you know, paper gold and things like that. It just kind of defeats the purpose to me. <laughs> Yeah, there is something to be said for that. But to me, this is this is just kind of like Bitcoin. It's a nice little better to have it than not have it kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Just not one of your major investments, you know, a minor. It's not one. an investment. It's a retirement fund. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My retirement fund's doing than most people right now. You got to move to Russia to use it, though. Mm-hmm. True story. Or at least go on vacation there. Yeah. So I don't know when that's just gonna be not happening. a not not a top ten vacation spot for me. Well, it may turn out to be. You know, I mean, maybe the place you can actually go that has food. Maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Man, another thing the 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 in the terms of the quickening. You know, one of the things that's really heated up is with mm-hmm. the uh, Dutch farmers. Yes, actual you know, gunfire being shot at them. Yeah. For no justifiable reason. Yeah, the guy was making a turn too close to a cop car. Yeah. That's what it was. And it was also, I mean, it's kind of getting blown out a little bit. It was one cop that shot three rounds at one farmer. Any cop shooting any rounds at any farmer just sounds totalitarian to me. It doesn't really matter how much or anything else. <clears throat> yeah, I totally agree. That cop agree. should be absolutely strung up to dry over that. I agree, but remember, these are the people that gave up their bicycles to the Germans. I I understand. It, 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 I understand that, that the Dutch capitulated very quickly during I, World War II. Yeah, I mean, if if somebody wants to to make the Dutch people throw out the current politicians, it's not that hard. The farmers just need to not collect their crops. Let the people starve for a while. We'll see what happens. Well, the only problem there is that would be giving in to what the government wants them to do. Sometimes you have to demonstrate how bad decisions will impact somebody before people realize they're bad decisions. Yeah, and sometimes those people deflect and, you know, try and move away. And for those who don't know, the Dutch <clears throat> you government... You mean the Putin gas tax? Yeah. 
The Dutch government is trying to limit the nitrate emissions from farms and, mm-hmm. you know, they, they are basically telling the farms and cattle farmers that fertilizer, bad, cows, bad, half of you have to shut down. And <clears throat> they're not having that. And it's not just cows either. It, it is literally the drainage from fertilizing fertilizer, yeah. other crops. Things. Not, yeah. yeah, other crops. Yeah. So I, I did a whole blurb on yesterday on Unrelenting on this topic too. It it's it is stupid and it's not like they're living in the freaking desert there. They can build desalination plants and provide fresh, clean water with no nitrates at all to the entire population, which is not that big. Desalination has its own issues though, because what do you do with the brine? You kill off the sea life. I mean everybody knows that. Who cares? <laughs> That, that's problematic. <laughs> eh, you sell it as salt to, you know, countries that need salt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could just uh, refill the Great Salt Lake, right? Well, we could refill the Great Salt Lake, for sure, yeah. It's just going to be, I mean, we created the, the what was that lake in California? It's all dead now. Salt and sea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, Yes, there are issues with desalination. I'm just throwing that out as one of the examples. But I think reducing the amount of food production of a small country like that is very dangerous. It's bad enough that they rely on somebody for their energy. You don't want to rely on another country for your food. Well, it's it's any reduction in food capacity right now. You know, the population has grown to the point that it has through modern farming. Otherwise, we yeah. wouldn't have. It ought to be five hundred thousand. Everybody knows that, or a million. I mean, <laughs> no, it was five hundred thousand or five hundred million. Yeah, you're right. It was a million. million. It was not five hundred. Five hundred million. Uh, the, this is a reference back to the Georgia Guidestones, by the way, and one of the principles written on it. But regardless, modern farming is the only reason that the global population is what it is because we yeah. can eke out that many calories per acre. And you know, the U.S. we produce a lot of food. We mm-hmm. are net exporter when it comes to our farming and food. Um, well, we were until this year, yes. Yes, this year is an exception, which is terrifying. But I think if all, of all the countries, I don't think the U.S. is going to starve because we are capable of producing much more food generally than we can consume by our population. Absolutely. So, yeah. There is that. Although they are massively and have been for years trying to convert our food into petrol. Yeah. So yes, the, the, the corn subsidies for ethanol and so on is, you know, why would you have your energy source competing with your food source? That makes no mm-hmm. sense to me. And it's not even all that efficient a source. Well, and it's a, for people who haven't used it, E85 ethanol, the, the biggest problem with it is, you know, if your engine was not designed for it, the fuel lines, everything just gets eaten up. You know, alcohol basically attracts water. Yes, there's lots of problems there. Yep. Yeah, and and you you can certainly build a motor that runs on ethanol, but uh, but you're you're going to get a lot worse MPG running on pure ethanol. Yeah, and you know, gasoline per pound per volume is just very efficient mm-hmm. fuel source. I think diesel's a little more so, isn't it? Well, it depends on what you're going for, right? So the average car runs on gas for a reason. Diesel is actually, up until they put in the new sulfur rules, diesel was way easier to refine. Now with the mm-hmm. sulfur rules, it's not. 
but you know depends but on from what a you're BTU going for standpoint the amount of energy per kilogram gasoline's more efficient it is i thought diesel was i mean diesel can diesel motors generally produce more torque but if you're looking at joules of energy per kilogram yeah. the more refined fuel is going to be the better fuel mm. okay well more refined doesn't really say what it's doing i mean it's you saying just from a less impurity standpoint more refined or what well, the actual hydrocarbon that you're combusting is more refined. There's more of the, there's more hydrocarbon chains in gasoline than in diesel just because of the refining process. So, and though each of those chains is what you want to break up? It's what you're combusting. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I just looked it up. You are correct. Yay. By 4%. Yes. All right. And then methyl ether is even better. Yeah, but the... And methanol is even better than that. It, it all comes down to stability, though, right? Mm -hmm. And various things. Gasoline is fairly stable compound. That's the other problem with gas, though, actually, is it's mm -hmm. much less stable than diesel. So if you have gas that's a year old, two years old, you're probably not going to be able to start an engine with it because mm. it, it it's volatile. It does lose you know off gases everything so like, else they've got natural gas <clears throat> has a range and the range is from about what diesel is all the way up to 55 megajoules per kilogram from 42 to 55 so you could potentially have better energy density with natural gas i guess hmm. interesting i've never really looked this stuff up but firewood is way the fuck less it's 16 yeah well it, it's the it, Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, if you take that firewood and you put it in a gasification unit mm -hmm. and you take the volatiles out of it and you use that, then mm -hmm. especially if you have an efficient gasifier, essentially you're breaking any biomass down to two things, hydrogen and CO, which both are extremely combustible. So when you combust hydrogen, you end up with water, H2O, and then you end up with when you combust carbon monoxide you end up with co2 mm -hmm. well, that's cool uranium is thirty nine thousand gigajoules and gene's just reading a table of energy densities yeah at this, point. this is cool man <laughs> <laughs> well i mean okay if i'm reading this table of energy densities wouldn't it make sense if i was in charge of the country to fuck all other fuels and focus on uranium and focus on the most energy dense energy that we have. Sure. But I mean, it, it all depends on how you extract that energy. So in light water you reactors buy it from Russia, yeah, when you, when you're talking about a light water reactor or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're really not getting a lot of energy out of that. You're getting 500 gigajoules per kilogram. It, well, it depends on how they're measuring it. So if you, you know, Einstein's E equals MC square. Well, E equals MC square is for a atom that is at absolute zero, not in motion, no other energy in mm -hmm. it. And then that being converted 100% to energy. That energy conversion does not happen anywhere. It doesn't happen in fusion, doesn't happen in fission. You know, theoretically, a matter antimatter reaction is as close as you can get to that sort of energy release. Mm -hmm. But we don't have that. So, you know, I, I'm not looking at the table you are, but 
depending on how they're measuring it. Well, you, you need to natural think. is 3,900, sorry, enriched uranium, but in light water reactor, it's 500. That's way less. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. that's the extraction rate, right? Mm -hmm. So w when, when you've got a light water reactor and you've got the fuel rods in there, regardless of the type, you know, you're, you're just generating free neutrons that are bumping into each other, splitting atoms, releasing a fraction of the energy that's contained in the atom. So you're taking a really heavy element and decaying it into lighter elements. Yeah, it's based on a 45,000 megawatt reactor, I guess. Yeah. I, I, uh, burn up of 3.5% enriched uranium in light water. Yeah, it, it would totally depend on, you know, the reactor Shut up, design. Shut dude, I'm reading the table. Things. Anyway, point, point being that, uh, that in all this stuff, ethanol is way crappier than uranium. That was the point I was trying to make. I mean, as a I, fuel source. I, I could have told you that one. Well, but. I did tell you that, but I'm, I'm just proving it with a table. That's all. That which you, nobody can see except for me. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Well, you, you know, we could, we could do the show, uh, you know, with video feed just strictly for the websites we're looking at too. Yeah, That's we could. That's a thing. I've, I've tried doing that in the past. I have a companion, companion video to the podcast. If you're curious, you can watch the video and see exactly the table that Gene is looking at. Well, what we could do is take screenshots of what we're looking at and then introduce it as chapters. God damn it. You're just making me do work now. <laughs> All right. Hey, I'll hey, do that. Uh, this 2 this 0, will man. have it's the future. Will, I know. I stopped doing chapters because it takes too long. All no, right, I, I, I wouldn't bother. I just did. I took a screenshot. So y'all will see the table in the chapter thing. It's there. Well, and then you got to mark where you're going to put the chapter. All That's that. not that hard. That part of it's actually not too bad, but it's, it's gathering the, the pictures that always took the longest for me. Yeah. Because <clears throat> they're not, they're a lot of times I'm watching a video. So then I have to pause clip, you know, and while you can easily clip a picture of a video on the phone, it's, it's actually trickier on the computer because a lot of these video websites really go out of their way to try and prevent you from doing that. Yeah. Preventing so, screen capture. Mm-hmm. Screen capture, video capture, any, any of that stuff. And I was, somebody had a, oh, I went to try and listen to a podcast somebody recommended on Apple's website because, you know, you, normally you download it right from the RSS feed, but it, pretty much any podcast has a website, if you can find it, that, that goes to the actual podcast and you can listen to it there. Well, these guys had it on, on Apple something and I go there. Get this. I didn't realize this, but <clears throat> Apple will not play a podcast episode for you unless you download a DRM extension for your browser. Yeah, that's what I said. What? These are free. What? what why do I need to install Apple's DRM to they play something Apple doesn't own and is also free? This has to be part of the move to have sponsored content or something like that. But even then. The only I know thing I can Apple, think of is Apple has like a year ago or something, they introduced this ability for podcasts to come out with, you know, a paid podcast that's right. only for your fans or whatever, when they pay you money, but that's not what I was trying to listen to. I just literally just went to, so I'm like, screw that, clicked on the Google link and then I could listen to it for free without DRM. Yeah. That, that it also could be if they're doing dynamic ad insertion or something like that, doing some tracking. Yeah. Yeah. It could be that. something like that, but it was labeled as DRM something. 
and maybe it's like already built in on the the Safari browser, so you wouldn't have to download Diddly Squad. But being on a PC, it, it gave me the 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 extension download. Dialogue. I don't know I why like, anyone oh, would screw be using that. Safari as a browser. Well, I mean, what do you use on your iPad? I don't have an iPad. There you go. That's why people would use Safari because they have iPads. Yeah, even then, I, I, I just wouldn't have. Well, I an use iPad. I use Brave I, I like on the iPad. Oh, hardy, hardy, har, whatever. I like <laughs> I like Brave on the iPads. So it works pretty good. Yeah, my 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 tablet is a Surface Go to running Linux. So yeah, it's not even running the Google Windows. Mm. No, nope, it's running Linux. It's it's actually pretty nice. It's my so main travel computer. Huh? What, what what do you do with it? You can't. I mean. It's Linux. There's no software. I can do everything I need to do when I'm traveling. I don't take my main laptop. I take that. So you, what do you just listen to podcasts and that's it on it then? Or? No, any web browsing, anything I need to do, it's right there. I've got everything. Web browsing. Don't sites like check what OS you're running and not display anything for Linux because those people don't have any money to buy shit? No. <laughs> huh. it, it, it works for me. On everything okay, I, need to I do. don't know. I don't know, man. It's, uh, Hell, I could even do the podcast from it if I need to. Oh, God, no. I well, Technically, you could do the podcast from an iPad, too, because the, the Motu just works when you plug it into anything with USB. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> last My last experience with Linux was, I want to say Red Hat 4. Oh, God. You need you. You've got to try a do modern. I, yeah, you to. really should. <laughs> I mean, hell, Gene, load Mint on something, and mm-hmm. it's Mint is any Windows user. I can hand Linux Mint to, and they can use it. It's it's stupid easy at this point. I'm not a big fan of the Debian releases. I yeah, being doing what I do, I'm far more in the CentOS, Red Hat side of things, but. You know, yeah. at the same time, there's been some really good work done over there. Ubuntu has done a lot of stuff for just basic user usability. Yeah, you know, I've, obviously I've that's new Linux, but you know, hey, yeah. getting people started isn't a bad thing. Yep. Yeah. the The big thing I remember from Ubuntu was just the repositories were very easy to access. Yeah. You know, for me, I, you know, yum. It's just what I am used to versus Git. There's just some different things, but it's fine. You know, I, I. BSD is a thing for me too. I use mm-hmm. BSD quite a bit on the back end on things, but mm-hmm. um, you know that's because I've been in that world for a long time. You know, and I think everyone, anyone who really wants to know anything about computers or do anything, you need to be using an operating system that makes it difficult for you because you'll actually learn what's going on. And you know, I, I think about the kids today that are growing up with these phones and with computers that just work. They have no idea how that works because they're not having right. to make it work. Whereas when I grew up, even in the early 90s and so on, it was not trivial to make things work. Yeah. No, I I agree with you. Although I think there are other things that are difficult to make work now, now that the phones and the computers are just sort of easy. Yeah, like your audio routing issue. Like my rack, fuck you. <laughs> we were dicking around for like 20 minutes before the show because oh, I've still got an the... echo in my ears, yeah, but you know, yeah. you know uh-huh. we, we gave up. No, I, I mean, I, like I, re- I remember the first computer I built, I ended up with IRQ conflicts and issues like that. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go in and change IRQ settings. And that took me down the road of, okay, 
what is this? Oh, yeah, it's an interrupt. Yeah, why request. is it such a shitty design? Well, I mean, it, it actually modern processors are that way for a reason. You know, it used to be that I/O was polled, so mm-hmm. you know the PDPs of the world and things like that used to have polled I/O. So what that means is, all right, I'm going to read my I/O. I'm going to take that instruction from the input, what the user has done with, on the keyboard or whatever. I'm going to execute that. I'm going to write the output, and then I'm going to pull the input again. Mm-hmm. Well, on a modern PC, that wouldn't work. Right. We have interrupt driven I.O., which means the computer, anytime you interact with inputs, is interrupting the process and the process is adapting to the new input. So when we were having interrupt request collisions back in the early 90s and so on, it would be two devices trying to utilize the same interrupt request. Mm -hmm. And that obviously isn't going to work. Now, today, all of that is managed by modern BIOS. But the BIOS of today and the BIOS of 1990, I mean, BIOS on a server today is a full-fledged Linux operating system. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. No, dude, my uh, my BIOS on my gaming PC is like fully graphic mouse driven. Oh yeah, yeah. But I I'm 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 talking down to diagnostics installation stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, modern server BIOSes and out of a management systems, it's mm-hmm. it, it's a full OS. And when you're thinking of it from a security standpoint, that that's problematic in, in yeah. and of itself. Well, I mean, it the a good analogy for your cell phone would be the baseband processor, mm-hmm. right? The baseband system, you can do whatever you want to secure the OS on top, but the baseband handles everything underneath. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's that's how people end up totally putting a different OS onto their Google phone. Well, even if they do put, let's say, I i mean, I've got a Pixel 5 sitting right here. If I put Graphene OS on it, there's some things that can be done to limit access to baseband. But the, the ultimate reality is if you have a nation state that wants access to that or a carrier that wants direct access to that baseband processor, then you're, there is no security layers that you can add on to that. Right. Now, yeah. if you get something, you know, what's the Freedom Phone, not the Pine, but the, the the Liberty one that has the actual hardware switches and they've done the hardware uh, themselves. So mm-hmm. they've secured the baseband processor, if you believe what they've said. Shit, what is that phone called? I know, I know the one you're talking about. I think the dudes from that phone were on Tim Pool once. No, no, I'm talking about a different one. Oh, are you? Oh, okay. Yeah. Then I don't know. Don't know. I got my i13 third plus super duper ultra. That one works good. Yeah. Mm. Looking forward to the 14. That should be coming out. That'll probably be the last one before we lose Apple as a company. Why do you think we're going to lose Apple as a company? Because Apple just published some information saying that they're in high risk. Because if China occupies Taiwan, Apple loses its ability to make chips for all its devices. Well, they should be building factories here. You'd think so, wouldn't you? But Apple hates America. They're an American company, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most American companies hate America. Oh. Well, that seems counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah, you would think so. But I think it comes from the fact that they're not really responsible to America. They're responsible to their stockholders, and their stockholders... Don't have a problem with them hating America. Most of the American companies are held majority-wise from American stockholders. So, you know, if if you live in America and you own 
any stocks in the stock market, those companies should have a fiduciary responsibility to yeah, you and the country. Not a whole lot of people own individual stocks. It's mostly the the retirement funds that own stocks. Yeah. Well, I guess. Man, I don't know. I, I invest differently than most people. Yeah, you do. And I used to. I don't anymore. But well, I guess I sort of do because I bought rubles. But it's if you just look at the stats, the individual investors are not even blips on the radar because the the volumes that are getting moved by black retirement rock funds and else, yeah. are insanely big yeah and a lot of those people don't just don't love america they genuinely have a disdain for america <laughs> too much freedom too many guns not enough abortions you saw biden's executive order Yep. Mm -hmm. Did you see his uh, prompter flub? I didn't watch. I heard he had the prompter flub. I didn't watch it. What did he say? Do you remember? Oh, he, he was quoting a CEO and then he l read the instructions, end quote, repeat the lie. Oh, that was it. So he was supposed to say something and then say he it was, again. With he was more supposed emphasis. to read the quote and then repeat the quote. And instead mm -hmm. he read repeat lie. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, you can't make that up. Anyway, the phone I was thinking of is the Prism Librem 5. Okay. And the Prism's been making hardware for security-minded folks for a while. And they've got, you know, they've got some clout in the security world. It's called the world. Prism Labor 5? Really? That's the phone name? Prism Librem 5. Uh, Librem is in Liberty. You sure it wasn't Purism? Purism, yeah. I, I heard pr Prism Labor 5 is what you said. Well... Then that was just a Freudian slip. I don't have to tell you. Huh. Okay. No. And this is some kind of Android thing or whatever? No, it, it's, it's running OS. their own OS, but it's a mm -hmm. Linux-based OS. And, you know, hardware switches associated with the camera, so you can literally hardware switch it off, hardware switch on the radio, things like that. Mm. So physically able to kill the phone. Got it. Can physically pull the battery still on this phone no like way that. it has a battery oh my god yes it has a user removable battery like replaceable so you can buy a battery instead of a thousand dollar phone sure well, how much is this thing let me buy one order now order now twelve hundred dollars twelve hundred ah, it is literally the cost of an iphone yeah oh, but okay, i mean okay okay here's the problem huh. 720 by 1440 display what are you kidding me I need at least at least a 4K display on there. What on a five inch screen? Why? Oh my god, that is pathetic. Well, that's what I have right now. I'm not gonna downgrade. No, if this thing had comparable specs, I would totally three megs of memory. That's all it's got. Wow. Well, again, it's Do running Linux. Have, like, what the do you need? Ultra version of this or something that I can, you know? Well, I need to be able to surf the web and talk on the phone. Yes. Well, I don't want to compromise my experience well anyway i i actually know do you have people. one of these no i do not but oh. i've i know a few people who have gotten mm. previous versions and been pretty happy with it hold on hold on hold on lead time for new orders 52 weeks yeah. so they take your money for a year before they give you a phone fuck that shit well they're doing batch processing right so they're getting orders together then doing the order shipping it out I mean, th this this has been an iterative process with them for a while, and it's supposedly getting better and better. Is this so. supposed to be the fifth version of the phone that they're selling? Yes. So you could order this phone right now, and version six comes out six months from now, 
And you still won't get your five for another six months after that. Well, again, they're doing it in batches. So here's the design specs for this one. We're getting in these orders. We're running a manufacturing run while we're designing the new version. And then we're going to do that and repeat. This is the model they've used for quite a while. They also have some decent laptop hardware that's pretty security minded as well. So these, these are like laptops that only run Linux? Well, it's no, you could run Windows on it, but it's very much security focused design from the ground up. It's got a 1920 by 1080 display. What's the deal with these guys using low res shit everywhere? Again, it's just the point is not to be your gaming PC, Gene. The point is being able to have hardware that you can trust is the entire idea here. It's kind of thickish too. Yeah. Yeah. But it, does, does trust require a bigger thickness and a shittier display? I'm just saying there's no reason for this. There's no reason a company couldn't create a product that's competitive and add security. You haven't looked at the custom laptop world very often, have you? Because you're not going to get, like, I, sitting in front of me is a Dell XPS 15. It's a mm-hmm. nice, thin, you know, beautiful computer. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to get that in the custom laptop space. Do we need a custom laptop space? I thought we just need a little more security. I don't know, man. I, you know, back in the day, we were working on tough books. Yeah. yeah. Those things were fucking bricks. Yep. They still they exist. Heavy, and you drop them off the table and it bounces and it's perfectly okay. Yeah. And, you know, what would be a good idea for everyone to do is go to eBay and get a, you know, reasonable tough book, download Wikipedia and lots of other contents in it and throw it in a mm-hmm. Faraday cage and save it for the apocalypse. Well, I've got a, a Lenovo tablet that I use. Well, mm-hmm. when the battery has anything, I haven't actually used it for a while. But so I've got that, and then I've got a Lenovo laptop from years ago that I have just in case. Yeah, I I I used to love Lenovo, so I I was on IBM ThinkPads and mm-hmm. you know yep. Lenovo ThinkPads for mm-hmm. a long time, and then you know the CCP ended up essentially acquiring Lenovo and I've moved (laughs) away since. Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't make the old equipment any different. It's just the new shits made by CCP. I don't know. Are you going to do a driver update on it? It's not been turned down in years. I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, it's the same thing with Motorola. Motorola, I used to have Motorola phones all the time because they Mm -hmm. were awesome. And then, you know, Google bought them, spun off some stuff and then ended up selling it to Lenovo. So you could buy a used Panasonic Tough Book and Amazon for six hundred bucks right now. Yeah, yeah. And these were like seven thousand dollar devices back in the day. Well, I mean, Dell makes hardened, uh, you know, uh, hardened as in environmental conditioning computers as well. In in some of the power plants I've been in, that Dell has a hardened. Windows tablet that's actually pretty useful for a lot of guys to use. Yeah. So like having operator manuals, things like that in environments that are pretty rough, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that makes sense. So I don't even remember how we got on this topic, but let's move on. What else is going on? Yeah, we could talk about, I got a couple of things, but I'm more curious to see what, what's making the rounds with you. I, I mean... The Shinzo Abe thing, the Georgia Guidestones was definitely up there. And then, yeah, that's, I mean. But all the gold 
being stolen out of Ukraine and moved to Poland. Yeah, up until yesterday, I hadn't heard of that. So mm-hmm. tell me about it. Well, all the gold in Ukraine is getting stolen and moved to Poland. Well, I, I think said differently, the way the Ukrainians would phrase it is, Poland is being gracious enough to hold on to our gold for now. Yeah, hold our gold for a while, will you? So it is, it is, I, this is, this is the kind of shit really makes me feel bad about for Ukrainians, like actual people living in Ukraine, not people working in the government of Ukraine that are the puppets of the U S because they, this brings back a lot of memories, certainly for older people of the Nazis in their retreat from their losses in Russia, moving huge huge amounts of Russian gold treasure back to Germany with them. Some of which it literally only got returned to Russia in the last 20 years because it was in private collections in German families. But the idea of moving a country's gold under the guise of for protection is completely transparent. I I don't know who couldn't see through this. This is literally the West getting ready to, for reality to set in, which is that there's only two alternatives. One is Russia fully captures Ukraine and installs a government. Or two, the people of Ukraine have a revolution to get rid of the current monarch of Ukraine, Zelensky, and then get their freedom back. Because remember, Zelensky's government and really the couple of governments for the previous eight years are an occupation force. These are, these are people that came in really powered by the Nazis in Ukraine and took over the government. Well, uh, and, there were no the US, free elections. And the U.S. If you remember Victorian Kagan Noodleman yeah, s- yeah, yeah, statement, absolutely. you know, fuck the EU. Fuck the EU, yeah. No, it was it was absolutely driven by the U.S. This was a successful State Department operation. No two ways about it. To the average Ukrainian farmer, whether it's somebody who's corrupt and friends with Russia or somebody who's corrupt and friends with the U.S., does not make a whole lot of difference. Corruption has always been a way of life in Ukraine. That's just historical fact. That's not anything against Ukraine. They they've have a long history of being the place to go to to do deals. Yeah. Now, I am going to challenge you on the whole gold thing because what I would say is when you look at China during, you know, World War II as the Japanese mm-hmm. were invading and so on, the Chinese aristocracy did the same thing. They fled with the nation's gold and lots of other things, you know, lots of different anything they could carry and get out of China, they did. Mm-hmm. So, actually well, difference- had some family friends that you know, there was some involvement there. But anyway, so I don't think that that's unique to the Ukraine. I I can see powerful interests saying, hey, you know, Russia is going to take over either a large portion of the Ukraine or Ukraine is going to have a collapse of some sort. Yeah. Let me get out with as much treasure as I can. It's never coming back. Absolutely. That is a one-way trip. That is the rape of Ukraine that is currently happening. And it has nothing to do with Russia. It has to do with the West taking what it can out of that country before well, I, leaving. I would say it's not necessarily even the you the West. It, it's 
Ukrainians probably taking it, and it's Ukrainians making the decision. So yeah, I, I don't think it's quite that simple. I think it, there there are certainly people in Ukraine that that made money during the last eight years of being on the side of the West and pushing this conflict and causing the genocide in eastern Ukraine. And those are the people that are currently going to be stealing money out of Ukraine and that will never come back to Ukraine. So that that is definitely happening. Now, they could be Ukrainian national nationals. I'm, I'll give you that. Sure. I'm not saying it's necessarily non-Ukrainians doing it, but but Ukraine as a country will have no gold reserves at the end of this. And that, it doesn't matter whether Russia fully occupies Ukraine or whether Russia stops exactly in where they are right now. And the, the next government of Ukraine will not be friendly to Zelensky. That's a fact. That is, th- there's no way it could be any other way. The, the population of the country has been cut by 60% right now. Likely to return either. No, they're not. No. So Ukraine is going to be both a shell of its former self in terms of population, but now will also have no ability to set up a banking system. It'll have to rely on foreign banks because the country itself will not have any money, regardless of who's running it. Well, you're assuming that gold is required to have a banking system. It is for a country, yeah. You can't set up a banking system without gold. You can you can shuffle things around later, but as a country, you have to have assets to set up the country's banking system. Otherwise, you're relying on other nations doing it. And this this has happened in in places before too. There's nothing unique about it. You can have only foreign banks, but that's not what most countries want. Well, I think it's what, again, uh, you, you made a call fairly early on that, uh, you know, that Ukraine was going to end up being split between Russia and Poland. And that that, mm-hmm. that could happen. Yep. It's a possibility. I don't know that it's a super high likelihood, but it's a possibility. I, I think that there is a buffer state that will exist in some form or fashion. Yeah, I mean... There, there, w- there could very well not be a fully Russian-controlled Ukraine, but, but man, who's going to want to live there? Because that, that state will, will be the, the place that all the guerrilla warfare is launched from. I mean, they're basically turning a European country like Ukraine into a Syria or Afghanistan. Yeah, I mean this. This is a proxy war. There's no doubt about it. You know, it. it I. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where this actually ends up landing yeah. because it. It could land that. You know. Okay. So Poland takes the. Uh, you know, the western half, and uh, mm-hmm. Russia takes the eastern half. Then what? Yeah. You know. Then Russia has a NATO country on its border that it didn't want. Well, it's. I don't think that that Ukraine will ever be a part of Russia. I think it's always going to be a, you know, autonomous zone, an autonomous republic, whatever you want to call it, for that very reason, to be a buffer state, right? So you'd be much better off living in Russia than living in Ukraine autonomous zone. So the idea of a Russian-controlled Ukraine still leaves there a Ukraine. It's just that it's going to be friendly with Russia and unfriendly with the West. 
So you think the Donbass and so on doesn't actually formally rejoin Russia. You think it stays its own autonomous thing? It's, I'd say it's probably about 60-40. I think there is certainly a desire by some Russian people living there to become part of Russia. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily the best thing for the country of Russia. And so people may want that, but ultimately Russia, it's, it's kind of like Texas joining the U.S., right? There were people that wanted it, but the U.S. kept refusing for quite a few years because the movement to become part of the U.S. started literally with the independence of Texas. Yeah, and it would have been far better off had Texas remained its own right. republic. I, right. I fully agree with that. Yep. So I, I think that there are going to be people, and there are people right now already trying to petition Russia to formally acknowledge that this whole region is now part of Russia. But from a Russian standpoint, I don't think that's really the best choice. And yeah. so it'd be better to have Ukraine as a friendly autonomous zone. Okay. Well, we'll see what they decide to do. Yeah, but I know CSB I still am, is probably I'm, just pulling his hair out right now. I don't understand why he listens. I seriously don't <laughs> understand why he listens. The I think I would still am, am, am with my original sentiment from five months ago that I think Poland's going to end up taking Lviv because that that was a Polish city historically, and it it it's really it got reassigned to Ukraine. Okay, what context would they use to justify doing that? They could do the exact same way. It's going to be an autonomous zone controlled by Poland for the freedom of Ukraine. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like you—you you got to use politics speak here. It's—it's—it's going to be phrased in a way that makes it seem like they're doing it for the benefit of Ukraine, just like taking the gold for the benefit of Ukraine, but. Ultimately, it's just going to be part of Poland. And again, I don't really have a problem with that. I've never had a problem with that. I think it makes sense to me. The The redrawing of maps during World War I and World War II has placed people that are of one ethnicity on the other side of the border from where they used to be. Well, we'll, we'll see where it, uh, where it lands, man. Yeah, and, and the difference there, too, is like the, the Polish uh, predominance of Catholic. Uh -huh. The Russians and the Ukrainians are Eastern Orthodox. Western Ukraine is mostly Catholic. Huh. So it's a religion, not just ethnicity. I mean, when, you're, when, when most of your relatives and your family are across the border, there's definitely a question as to why does the border exist on that side? Well, yes. And, and it's not through immigration. It's no, through redrawing it, of borders. You know, well, and that, that happens anytime there's a conflict, right? Mm -hmm. the, the borders do shift. It, it, but, man, we have moved. So you think, so in the U.S., I think this is a hard concept for a lot of people in the U.S., not necessarily Europeans, but to think of nationality as tied to ethnicity, because mm -hmm. in the U.S. it isn't. Right. right. I, I think that's a hard concept for a lot of people to really understand that, you know, a, a great example that we've used in the past on the show is Hitler, right? Hitler. Oh, mm -hmm. Hitler was Austrian. No, Hitler was German. He was mm -hmm. ethnically tied and very much felt that he was German, that sort of thing, which is, which is interesting, especially in Europe, when you have those borders being redrawn the way they have been over the last hundred, well, 
150 years. Yeah. 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 Cause and and while Austrians and Germans speak German, Austria was part of the Austro-Hungarian empire. And, and so there is a distinction in culture, I guess, uh, the way I would phrase it from a standpoint of, of the U S I think other than the civil war, which you know, we talk about way too much, been getting comments from people. It's like, yeah, this is the civil war podcast. <laughs> yeah. The war in Northern aggression. I, I think people have a, a very particular perspective on what states are and that the country is the United States of America uh -huh. in Europe. And this was actually something I was, uh, was also talking to my ex-wife about is like, you know, the world is isolating Russia. What you mean? Four countries, U S Canada. Britain and EU. That's only four countries that I count that are isolating Russia. Who well, else? the EU is a conglomeration of countries, but yes. Well, they, they don't get to be both. And that's the way they're acting. And it's like when it's convenient, the EU has like 30 countries in it. When it's not convenient, the EU, EU is a country and it has states. So they're trying to have their cake in the States with a capital S. Yes. States exactly in the way that the United States has states. Well, with a capital S. No, no. So the United States is supposed to have states with a capital S in a much different way than we do, mm -hmm. right? The Tenth Amendment, mm -hmm. states' rights. Some of what the Supreme Court has actually been doing here lately is returning decision power to the states. Yep. We are supposed to be in a far weaker federal system than we actually are in mm -hmm. practicality. The e, I, in fact, I would argue that we're supposed to be with more representation in the federal government, but far closer to what the EU is today. So. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, that's what I'm saying is the UA, the UA, the UE is modeled effectively on the United States, not, not the United States in its practical current form, but the United States in its design. Yeah. With some major notable exceptions, you know, with lack of actual representation, you know, the decision making. Yeah, a bunch of unelected yeah. Kings running things. Correct. Yeah. yeah. But still i i just like to poke that and it's like no it's, it's four fucking countries dude that's not the rest of the world it's four countries with not a particularly large population i, I mean i the population far exceeds the russian population so there's well, that. it does far exceed the russian population no that's totally true but that's hardly the rest of the world i i would say in comparison via land mass it's it's a pretty good chunk of it it's about comparable to Russia. The U.S. and Canada plus Europe. I, I oh, think. I meant I meant the EU, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Canada and, and, but remember, Canada is not as big as people think it is because most of Canada, if you look at it on a globe instead of a flat map, is much closer together up north than it is on represented on, what's the projection called? The square map projection? I, I can't remember. I don't know what you're, I don't, I don't know the term that you're asking for, but you know what I mean? Like when yes. you, when you stretch a globe out to a flat square surface, it doesn't you, work very you well. You exaggerate, yes. you, you blow up everything in the South and the North to make it look bigger in relation. Alaska is not nearly as big as it appears on square maps. That's why if you want to look at the projection from a globe, from an actual sphere, then you can see Alaska's true size a lot better. But on a square map, Alaska looks almost as big as the entire lower 48. Yeah, Alaska's pretty damn big, though. I mean, it's over double the size of Texas. So that's that's pretty damn big. 
but it looks like it's four times the size of Texas on the square map. I, yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. And it's yeah. just because you're taking a sphere and, yep. Yeah, there's a name for that. It's something projection, but whatever. So Europe is about 450 million. What's the U.S. right now? Like 350? Yeah, 320. 320, okay. So that's like uh, 800 th- million-ish. And Canada's negligible, that's probably like a million. I think it's a little more than that. I'm, I'm just kidding. 38 million. It's not a whole lot more. No, I mean, uh, the population yeah, so of Texas is getting 850, close. and then what's the UK? UK is 67, so 850, so about so under a billion people that are in NATO, or that NATO covers. And well, you're forgetting of, Turkey. That's true. They're not in the UK, but they are in NATO. They're not in the EU, yes. They are 83 million. And there's... I mean, technically, I guess Norway and Finland would be added to that as well, because they're not in the EU either. Yep, there are 30 members. You also have to add... In, Five uh, million from Finland. Albania, you know. Okay, the... those we just don't need to count. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Five million from Finland, five million from Norway. These are not countries. These are small S states. Yeah, so... Uh, population of Earth. What is that right now? Seven and a half billion. So we have one billion out of seven and a half billion being represented by the countries that are referred to as the, what are they referred to? As the uncooperative countries or something. But basically the countries that have a a boycott of Russian stuff. Uh-huh. Although not really. I mean, they still want their energy. So my my point with this is simply that there's an extremely uh, distorted view that is being presented to the uh, to the Western populations as to the impact and relevance of what the West is able to do to any country, not just Russia, but the same same thing with China. If if U.S. and Europe decide to start putting sanctions on China because China wants to unify with Taiwan, that's going to be even less effective and more negative effects for, I mean, I just, I don't, at at some point, some party will emerge and it may very well be a communist party that will just simply say, no, we are not going to be involved in these wars. We're going to focus on providing food for our own countries and they will win. Then whether they win through elections or whether they win through revolution, that's what's likely to happen. Because the the course we're on right now is very much for Europe, hopefully even Canada, but certainly Europe and the U.S. to get to a point where people's basic human instincts will start guiding them rather than their artificially created, you know, current political drives like LGBT fairness and shit like that. And Black well, Lives I, Matter. I, I think like, the that's backlash, not going to matter. I think the backlash against that has already started pretty hard. Yeah, because the Georgia Guidestones just got destroyed. Well, not, not just that, but just, you know, seeing what has happened with Disney recently on both the Baymax episode and then 
what happened with Lightyear. You so know. I'm not aware of any of this shit because I don't have kids. Yeah. So in Lightyear, Buzz Lightyear, so an, a new movie from the Toy Story franchise should have been a blockbuster hit. Basically was a dud in the box office. And it's made by the pedophile company? Yeah, it was made by yeah. Disney. But the problem a lot of parents had was that there's a lesbian kiss in the movie. Some movie theaters even went to the point trying to get traction on this of saying they would fast forward through the scene in the movie theater. So if that tells you anything on the backlash of the parents, uh, there's that. In an episode of Baymax, which is on Disney Plus, Baymax is in this tampon aisle trying to help a little girl with her first period and He's asking people, you know, hey, what should I get? And there's a what appears to be a, someone in a trans shirt that represents as male saying, oh, I use these, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And there's some pretty major backlash on that. Oh, and then the what's sort of related to that, I don't know if you saw, I posted in Nogen Social, the Canadian military has changed their dress code to be more inclusive, allowing any of the clothing to be worn by anybody, meaning it, men to wear skirts. Insanity. They've also removed restrictions on coloring nails, facial tattoos, and colored hair. And, yeah. you know, I mean, all, all kidding aside, as crazy as this is, I think the reason they're doing it is because they did a, a study showing that their enlistment numbers will go to zero if they don't do this, because Gen Z falls into that category to such a high degree that that there's nobody left that to recruit that will follow the past dress standards uh, maybe but you know military militaries thrive on conformity and without that i don't know that you can have an effective force i go well so, beyond that i said they require conformity yeah i would say so I mean, units, cohesion, everything, it's, you're, you're just asking for a lot to fall apart there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not going to work. It's a joke. It, they're, they're already, I mean, Canadian military, I'm sure has some. Well, the Canadian military is a joke to begin with, right? Exactly. Well, that's why I was going. I'm sure there's some individuals in the Canadian military that are fine, fine military people, but in general, it's, it is a bit of a joke. This is going to put it over the top in, in terms of joke militaries of the world. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure there's some Canadian listening going, oh, you bastards. We have a oh, fine, pr- proud military tradition. Exactly. You know, the first they would apologize for calling us bastards, of course, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then that's one thing that I learned is, you know, Canadians, they, they do not know how to form declarative sentences. <laughs> eh? <laughs> Everything's a fucking question. Yeah. They do have play hockey very well. You got to give them that. I, I'm, I'm totally on board with that statement. Yeah. I, the hockey's a, not a sport I watch, but sure. Mm, I don't watch it a whole lot, but I used to play hockey. So for me, hockey's really the closest sport that I have any interest in. I don't give a shit about football, baseball, any of the other ball games. But hockey's a little more interesting. Plus, I grew up in the north, so, you know, I, I had, we had, like, snow season for nine months a year. So, just as a reference, uh, so Lightyear opened at $51 million in North America, $85 million worldwide. 
Toy Story 4, the last Toy Story, opened at $120 million in the U.S., $420 million worldwide, and ended up crossing a billion dollars in revenue. So, mm-hmm. massive difference. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. It's a start, but I, I think things have to get a lot worse before they start getting better. Well, I, I, I think there is this, I think there's a pretty big backlash against ESG. You know, Musk has been pretty po- vocal about it. You know, I've held Disney stock for a very, very long time, and it has been very profitable for me. It has mm-hmm. gone through multiple splits and has done very well. When the pandemic first hit and Disney stock tanked, I bought more and, you know, it went back up. This is not financial advice by any stretch, but, you know, I sold mine. And the reason why I sold mine is out of principle, not, you know, not financial reasons. But I've, I've sold off my Disney stock because I just I don't like what the direction this company is going. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that people have to start voting with their feet and their dollars. And, you know, yep. your 401k, you may have limited options on what you can invest in, but vet out what they're investing. Take your money out of your 401k and put it into a, a self-directed IRA. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Which you're depending on the company and how long you're working for them, you may or may not be able to do that until you terminate that employee, employee, employer relationship. But yes. Yeah. So for instance, my, my 401k from my last job, I did not roll it into my current 401k. I actually Mm -hmm. rolled it into a self-directed IRA. Mm. Yeah. That's, I think, a wise move on your part. Well, I, I just want the investment options more than anything. You know. Hey, you know, while we're talking here, I just look at some random facts. And uh, you know the last time the population of the Earth was 500 million? I, a very long time ago. It was around 1,700. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I would have imagined a lot longer ago than that. Mm-mm. It was right around 1,700, maybe 1,690. Huh. So that was a goofy number to begin with. I mean, why didn't they just do a 1 billion? Maybe, maybe, who knows? Maybe there's some reference material there that shows how well that, we were that's when the, know, living then. That's when the serfs were the easiest to control. Yeah. The, 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 <laughs> the number of serfs of... <laughs> were manageable. Right. Exactly. Because you want a lot of serfs to do the work, but not so many you can't control them. Yeah. You don't want the, the rabble rising. Yeah. Which, by the way, book recommendation. Gotta have that. Red Rising, this series, I'm finished. I, I just finished the first trilogy and I'm mm-hmm. on to the second one. I don't know that's how the one good... you told me. Now, did you not give this recommendation already or did you just tell me privately that that's a book I need to read? Well, uh, so the, the, the first book was the one that I had read at that point. This, mm. I've read the entire trilogy and I can recommend the entire trilogy, the first trilogy okay. at this point good. is what I'm saying. Well, I it's... bought them all. I bought them all. They're, yeah. I think, number 182, 183, and 184. You got to catch up, man. Look, I I think I'm going to be wrapping up my job in about a month, which for other people is I'm not going to be working. And uh, that'll give me more free time to listen to audiobooks and amongst other things to do, like finding a job. Yeah. But and uh, moving the podcast to, a, you know, some day during the week. Yeah. I could do it during the day at that point. I just, I'm, I'm literally like nonstop on conference calls. Oh, I understand. Long, so. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully I'll find something quick, but I, I'm also hoping that I won't necessarily start it quick. So I'll have a little bit of time, maybe a couple of months in between. That would be ideal. And that would give me plenty of time to catch up on a lot of things that I've been meaning to do that have just 
haven't had the energy to do during the weekend after work hours and I'm too busy playing video games on the weekends. Yeah. Well, you know, you could just not play the video games. And... Well, you know, people could just not have kids too. Uh, well, the, there wouldn't be very many people left after a while, would there be? Mm, maybe get to the appropriate number that way faster as well. Yeah, huh? uh, well, you mm-hmm. know, the amount of people who are having issues. Oh, one thing I wanted to talk about, and I'm not going to talk about who this was, but mm-hmm. um, ran into a colleague that the last time I saw them, they were pretty ill from a bad, bad reaction to the vaccine. Vaccine, sure. And when I say a bad reaction, to the point where an ovary had to be removed. Oh, that's definitely bad. And Inver's absolutely tied directly to this. Mm-hmm. And to the point where the doctor, you know, is going down this road. But yeah, they, I really think the Russian roulette theory of the vaccines is, is a real deal sort of thing. And I think mm-hmm. that there are some people having massive reactions and, you know, People have poo-pooed the idea of this affecting fertility. Well, I have someone I personally know that it directly did affect fertility. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a crazy I've thing. I've always expected that to be the case. It, you know, it's it's good seeing some evidence thereof, even though it's sad for the people that have experienced it. But you know, there's a reason that I, I spent the last two years telling people not to take the vaccine. Because it is untested. Not that there's anything wrong with the concept of vaccination. No, but and, there is and, something wrong with being a guinea pig without signing up to be a guinea pig and being compensated for it and having some sort of a safety net of what happens when you're a guinea pig and you have a bad reaction. Yeah, you so, have none of that right now. So this person asked last year had asked me to do a guest lecture for one of her classes at mm-hmm. a and, you know, during the mask mandate, they were trying to get me there. And, I, you know, I said, well, I'm I, no, I, sorry, I'm not going to come on campus when there's a, mm-hmm. this mandate. I'm just not going to comply with that. Yeah. And at, at one point they had called me up and said, hey, they're, you know, they've dropped the mask mandate for the vaccinated. And I go, well, that, mm. OK, that doesn't help me any. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so it was very interesting to hear because, you know, they were kind of like, well, Ben, why is this such a big deal to you to mm-hmm. now hear, you know, over a year later going, oh my God, I wish I had, <laughs> I, I wish I had, you know, going down the, the rabbit hole that I was already down. So, so to speak. So, you know, you know what, what sort of unites people like us in terms of, of thought. What's that? Is the mistrust at a much higher level than the average American. Mistrust of what, though? Mistrust of things that somebody tells you who you don't see as qualified in that area. Like when you hear something on the news or you hear something from the government. For the average American, they're like, oh, okay, interesting. For me, it's like, that sounds like bullshit to me. Yeah, but I don't think that inherently makes me mistrustful. I think it makes me a student of history and saying, you know, the the vast majority it's, it's of maybe uh, mistrust, not the right word, but suspiciousness. I mean, it's it's like here's what it comes down to. And I let me just speak for myself, maybe not speak for you or other people. I know enough about a lot of topics to have a, a level of understanding where my questions can be, I can delve into questions to dig for the truth of a particular 
statement. Yeah. And to discover whether it's actual truth or whether this is like the sugar-coated, projected version of the truth they want to portray. Well, you know, and it, what what a lot of people have problems with is if you start Googling on the Internet or going down rabbit holes, you know, there, there's a you can find a study that'll say just about anything. And in science today, there is a huge replication problem, meaning mm -hmm. studies come out set with X, Y, Z findings and no one mm -hmm. can replicate it. Yep. So, you know, for people who don't necessarily know statistics or can look at evidence and say, well, that's obviously bullshit. A, a real easy way to determine a good researcher from a bad researcher is just look at the number of citations that they have. Yep. Mm -hmm. If they are highly cited, they're probably a decent researcher. If they don't have a lot of citations or any citations, you can pretty safely ignore anything they say. Yeah. And, and generally, I would agree that there's a problem, though, is that if we start looking at what used to be referred to as global warming now as climate change science, the, the studies with the highest number of citations are also it, scientifically it, I'm, incorrect. I'm just giving a general rule of thumb there, yeah. you know, Peterson got roasted on some of his statements around climate models, but mm -hmm. he's statistically correct. And when I say statistically, I'm saying when you make assumptions and you have a complex model in which you have to make a lot of assumptions, those errors compound out the further out you go. That's just the nature of the beast. Because if I get one thing wrong here, it's, it's why you can do when you're talking about weather is a great example. When you're talking about predicting weather in the next hour, you can do a lot because you know you you have good data. As you mm -hmm. take that out further and further, you know, this is why we joke about weathermen being paid to be wrong all the time because mm -hmm. those errors compound. That's also why in physics uh, you can estimate a horse to be a sphere and project lots of things about it. But again, those errors compound in the more complex of a system that you create over a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. So the fact of the matter is, with any computer modeling or anything like that, you have garbage in, garbage out, right? And the, f the fact is, trying to wrap your head around something as m massive and as complex as the Earth's climate, I, I just don't think you can, that there is not enough data points and modeling capacity to do that today. There's just not. Mm -hmm. Does not exist. You know, and there... Solar energy, the the waxing and waning of uh, of the stars out, the sun's output, has a lot to do with the impact on climate. In fact, a couple of weeks ago when I was in Baltimore, I got asked, "Do I think climate change is real?" And I said, "Well, it depends on what you mean. If you think anthropomorphic climate change, then no, I'm skeptical on that. If you think does the Earth's climate change over time? Absolutely, that's a normal, natural phenomena." Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's totally true, and and the the best example of anthropomorphic climate change, I would say, is the microclimate around windmills. But the the fact that the the sun is ninety nine percent responsible for the the temperature on the surface of the Earth, yeah, is undeniable. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's if every nuke that we have in stock exploded today it would have a less than 1% change in the temperature on the planet compared uh, to the sun. The, if it was in space and not inside the atmosphere causing other issues, yes. I don't mean long-term effect. I mean like the actual output of energy. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And Maybe. I'm being hyperbolic, obviously, but I'm trying to just make the point that the sun 
is the source of energy. And, and what's Gene saying there, because I misunderstood him at first, but correct me, three-way communication here, Gene. So what you're saying is the amount of energy that would be introduced and the rise in yes. temperature because of that. Directly resulting from right. that. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. Not, not the effect of the cloud cover being generated and then, you know, having a nuclear winter. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe even the nuclear winter as well. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help it. Dude. It's just, it's ah. okay. It's okay. The, the, the other thing is in terms of temperature is, you know, when I was younger, it was global cooling and the freezing mm -hmm. of the earth. That was the concern in the coming ice age, because from about 1940 to about 1978, the NASA observed temperatures were falling. So it, it's a, yeah, it's the, what we're studying is the wrong thing and where the concern is in the wrong place. In right. my opinion, what we need to do is redirect any bit of money that is currently spent on trying to prevent global climate change to spending that money on how does humanity take advantage of the changes that occur in the climate of the planet? Well, and, you know, in the 1970s and during that era that you're talking about, where it was global cooling, one of the things that was even discussed was putting carbon on the ice caps to sequester more yeah. of the sun's energy. So, exactly. you know, the, what I would say is engineering our environment is beyond our capabilities at this point. So I think anytime you start screwing with weather manipulation, that can have drastic unforeseen consequences, sort of like messing with, yeah. you know, DNA and the RNA vaccines. Mm -hmm. It's beyond our current level of understanding. And I think it takes a lot of hubris to assume that you can do something in that complex of a system. You know, that said, I, I would say that anthropomorphic climate change, you know, lake effect weather is a perfect example where we build yep. a lake and it does affect the local climate. Now, Absolutely. does that have a larger butterfly effect on the global climate? Probably mm -hmm. not because it's such an insignificant local change. Well, I think it probably does have an effect on global climate because right, but how the climate doesn't have boundaries. Change. Yeah. And, and is that effect completely canceled out by something else that happens 6,000 miles away? Right. If I put, if I put a drop of cyanide, it will, you know, it, it could kill you. If I put that same drop of cyanide in a hunt. People that take cyanide on a regular basis to prevent that. Well, Go ahead. okay, but I put that same dropper of cyanide in 100 gallons of water and you drink some. Right. Not going to hurt you. So no, it's, it's, it's that dilution stronger. effect. Exactly. Sure. I mean, there are other poisons, Gene. I, I wouldn't be too worried about, you know. Cyanide. Yeah. But cyanide maybe that's just, just your so KGB training. That's so easy to make. That's the thing I've heard. So... From a, from a focus standpoint, it, it's, I think this just shows the difference between people that are not referred to as conservatives actually being conservative in that they want to prevent all change and they want stasis. Yeah. And then people on the other side, like me, who want to be able to be flexible enough to adapt to changing conditions and are not concerned with maintaining stasis. Well, you know, it's it, it's really an interesting paradigm because the true conservative is someone who has that high disgust reflex. The true liberal is someone with a low disgust reflex. 
But what we're seeing in our politics is what we call a conservative today. Classical liberal. Yeah. It doesn't have the, I mean, Mm -hmm. there are people in the Republican Party that are very traditionalists that have a high disgust reflex. But it's really an interesting separation that's occurring because you have the people who are, you know, on the liberal side today who have that it's, it's really the extremes that have that high disgust reflex, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. on the extremes and de- uh, demand sure. conformity to whatever they see as their normal. Mm-hmm. Right. So if, if the, the term turf has come up, right. Trans and radical turfs, mm-hmm. trans exclusionary feminists, Yep. They are considered by the left as abhorrent because they don't accept the new normal. Right. Correct. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. And, and I think that right now, and I think I even shared some videos with you, there are lesbians that are feeling like they're getting pushed out of LGBTQ plus plus whatever, because the idea that a a man who becomes transsexual should be considered a woman by every right means that a lesbian should be expected to date people that were born as men and have penises well, and engage in sexual activities because she's a lesbian. She's into women and that's a woman now. And th- I mean, this was literally from an interview with us, a lesbian and she was like, I don't want to suck cock. I've never wanted to suck cock. I have no interest in doing it, no matter what that person calls themselves. Yeah. Well, you know, it, here, here's the thing. I, I don't care what you do with your own body as an adult. Once you reach the age of majority, you want to do anything. And we can have a debate on what that age should be. Mm-hmm. That's fine. The teachers having, you know, literally closets of clothes in the classroom so that the kids can change when they get there, not telling the parents, the referring to a child by a different name, not telling the parents, you know, things like that. And this is more common than people think. And COVID has really part of, I think part of the Mm -hmm. globalist misstep was by taking the kids out of school and doing video classes and the Parents who normally aren't that involved, maybe have met the kid's teacher a couple times, you know, go to the classroom maybe once or twice a year, started really seeing what their children were taught. And I think that's a big part of the backlash that's happening. Then that's a very good thing. And again, this is another example of maybe it had to get bad enough to start making people realize that change needs to happen because the, the, the idea that these children can be treated in a way that they should keep secret from their parents. That's treasonous. I mean, that, that, that is literally something somebody would have in the olden days been strung up for. Well, the idea that a lot of these teachers and what I would say the current radical left have in common and what they think is that kids are not something that the parents have. They are beholden to the group. Takes a village. I have some, it does. It takes more than just the parents to raise kids. But that does not mean that the, the village gets a say in how the parents raise the kids. 
Right, right. Well, that's why I'm quoting Hillary here. But yes, I understand. It, it's every totalitarian, totalitarian regime has separated children from parents. It was done in Germany. It was done in Russia. It was done in China. It was done in all regimes that needed to have a fast way to program the kids without the confusion of what their parents might be trying to tell them. So what's happening right now in the U.S. isn't quite that extreme, but it is pretty damn obvious that the state... But it's analogous. It's analogous. Yes, it's analogous. And it's that the state is encouraging the teaching of children to be contrary to what the parents may want. Well... In 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 Nazi Germany and in the USSR, it was literally the state forming, you know, in, in Germany, the mm-hmm. Hitler Youth. But in the U.S. Hey, I was it, a member of the Young Communists. Yeah. In, in know, the U.S. Was, in fact, I was a leader in there. Explains a lot. Proud achievements of youth, you know. Are, are you marking this down, CSB? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, CSB. Ha! I knew it. <laughs> he's a Russian spy. He's still in the Russian military. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway that's literally how he talks so anyway i think in the u.s it's more insidious because it's it, it's the fabian socialist it's the total compromise of the universities and the education system in the u.s that has come over the last several generations and really the drastic change from when i was you know, a child to now is night and day. The The exposure that even my stepkids had to this is drastically different than what we're seeing in elementary schools today. It, I've said pretty much since I was a kid myself that, oh my God, I can't imagine parents send their kids to school. I will never do that. I'm going to homeschool. And I just didn't have kids. But it's a, it, it seems like one of those areas that if parents realized what school actually was, a lot more of them would want to homeschool. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it's not practical for everyone, unfortunately, because we do live in a country at this point where most households require two incomes. Thank you, feminism. It's not just that. It, it, I mean, <laughs> thank you, inflation. You know, thank you, Jimmy Carter. Thank you, lots no, of no, things. No, no, no. All so. of that is the result of feminists pushing this idea that women should be able to work for their whole life. No, that's this all started. I thought we talked about this already, but mm-hmm. this all started in the '60s. And you can look at the average in- income of American families, and you can look at the buying power of that income, and. Between 1950 and 19, we went from the, we kept the exact same buying power, but we went from a single provider to dual providers to achieve that same level. Yeah. And part of that is because you have what is essentially an artificial wage suppression because you've nearly doubled the supply of you labor. Du- you, you literally doubled the supply of mm, labor that, available. I, I don't think it's a... 100% one-to-one, but yes. I think it's pretty damn close because there are more women than men and only a small percentage of women don't work. Yeah, so the analogous of this would be if you took the average starting wage of a job and then looked at today's minimum wage 
Mm-hmm. Today's minimum wage versus the 1960s average starting wage should be around $25 an hour. Mm-hmm. As yeah. an example. Whereas in most states, it's under 10 Yeah, and it should be zero. The government has no business controlling I'm, wages. I 100% agree. A minimum wage is a socialist construct that does nothing to help the economy. All yeah. it does is price people out of out of entry-level jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because this occurred over the course of about a 40-year period, so essentially like one and a half generations, maybe even two generations, we didn't see a decrease in wages. What we saw was a slower rise in wages and as the number of women yes. came into the workforce with inflation outpacing it. That's exactly correct. So the 70s was definitely a a much higher rate of inflation rise, late 70s and early 80s. But overall, you can look at those graphs across, like in 1950s, very few women worked and only, or virtually only women who were not married. So women may have finished high school and then get a, a job as a secretary up until the point that they would end up getting married. Well, and then and, quit job and do their real job, which is having a family raising kids. And it's interesting because another impact on the education system is that the the very high achieving women in the 1950s and early 60s, typically they were teachers. As a result of them then moving to corporate America, the quality average quality of teacher dropped. Mhm. So Anyway, you know, what I would say is what we should have done is we should have said, you know what, if women want to enter the workforce, that's fine. I'm sure there are some men who would love to stay home and take care of the kids. Yep. Let's do that. Let's keep it a, you know, single provider household. That would be the good thing for the kids. While I do think there is probably some historical preferential for the female being the, 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 you know, provider. Certainly in infancy. So, you know. Women and men are typically temperamentally different. Now, there, mm-hmm. this goes to the overlap of any group. There is enough overlap that when you're looking at the groups, it's not necessarily that statistically different. Mm-hmm. But when you're looking at the it tail ends, it is. Mm-hmm. So there are plenty of men who are temperamentally the same as females and plenty of females that are temperamentally the same as men. There's a lot of overlap. But when you're looking at the extremes, that's the differential. Yeah, I think, and it has nothing to do with like, well, you just want to prevent women from being able to do No, no, no. This has to do with what what we are biologically designed for, if you want to use that term, or evolved into, if you want to use that term. The, the idea that a man can do everything a woman can is just a false statement. And likewise, a woman can do everything a man can is a false statement. Well, it depends on the man and it depends on the woman because there are plenty of equals. Because a woman can birth a child. Yes. And that, so that's a biological difference, but yeah, uh, I was speaking temperamentally. Well, the temperamental is design. Well, again, using the word design here, but it could be whatever word you would prefer to use in whatever your, your religious beliefs are. But the temperament is there along with the physical differences. Like they're not separate. They come hand in hand. If you're 
if you are capable of birthing a child, uh, you need a certain temperament that allows you to do that because all the women that didn't have the right temperament to birth a child didn't have children and didn't pass on their genetics. So you end up with a, uh, a very strong preference of the alignment of both the temperament along with the biological differences. Yes, a man but there's enough go random out, variation. There that, is random variation. That temperament does skew towards the tail ends is what I'm saying. Yeah, and those generally don't reproduce. They're generally biological mistakes. Okay. Tail ends on both sides. Well, it so, depends on what your measurement is. So the, the, well, the, the measurement, measurement of, of success, if you're looking at it purely biologically, is the reper reproduction, reproduction of your genetics. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I might be the smartest dude anywhere, but if I don't have kids, I'm not going to pass on my genetic intelligence to anybody. Well, but intelligence, it, the your my intelligence and your children's and so I... People with high IQs don't necessarily have children with high IQs. Well, unless you're Jewish, yes. I, again, looking at the individual versus the group. Yes, the higher IQ group will generally have higher IQ children. But at the individual level, that is less true. So, you know, one of the things I always preach is that the right level of analysis is always the individual. Because when you start looking at groups in, it, it, it just gets too muddy, man. Well, the problem with the individual is that there's too many of them. It doesn't scale well. That that's not my scale. problem. <laughs> well, you're you're not really doing a study when every study has a sample of one. Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, my point is, there's a lot of overlap. That so I, since you brought it up, IQ research. You know, the tail ends. Yes, there's differentiation, but for the vast majority of people. So if we take, you know. Jews and non-Jews, there's enough overlap there, and you couldn't have chose a worse example. Well, you could have won, but Asians and non-Asians, there's enough overlap that any one randomly chosen person is likely to have a similar IQ than the other. However, when you look at the tail ends of either direction of the bell curve, that becomes far and far you know, less likely. But in, in that center two quartiles, the odds are pretty high. I'm just yeah. saying it's a, it's bunched up in the middle and then there's a Pareto distribution off to the tail. Well, and then there, there's also the what I thought was absolutely the brilliant opening of idiocracy that has the intelligent couple keeping keeps talking about when the appropriate time to have kids is. M meanwhile, the, the, uh, the yeah. redneck idiot is now had like a half dozen and his kids are getting to the point where they're having kids and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so reproduction is not, not based on, on intellectual success or fitness. It's really, it's also very much based on the, the well, ability to find somebody to reproduce with. I mean, there is that, but there's also, so modern society has actually kind of changed that because if you go back to just a few hundred years ago, the mm -hmm. the odds of you reproducing based off of your intelligence, you know, really did matter. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know. I, I no I there that, that there is are one two, of the other 
that's the other hot rail topics that I've talked about in the past that we don't have time to get into today, which is that modern medicine and other practices associated with life-saving have completely fucked up our nerds as far as genetics being able to be utilized to maximize the potential of healthy and prosperous individuals and, and minimize those that have, you know, genetics that lead to problems. Whether so, they're, those are psychological, whether those are physical, whatever else. So what I'm hearing is Gene's a secret eugenicist. I am, I'm not a secret eugenicist. I've said this plenty of times. I absolutely think eugenics is, is necessary for the survival of the species. So we, uh, we cannot I think allow a diverse everybody. gene pool is necessary for the survival of the species. I think a diverse gene pool does nothing if you allow every single gene in that pool to reproduce. Well, not every single one, but, you know. Uh, you you allow natural selection to take its course. So I, I you know, I'm not in natural favor of selection any would be letting those you know that that require assistance for the entirety of their lives to survive, or allowing them to survive is yeah. Is but not those good people who pool. require assistance for the entirety of their life have a lower likelihood of reproducing. Yeah. So you're in favor of sterilization? Then okay, that's fine. No, not at all. Well, my point is that if, if we don't let nature take care of what it's been doing for literally millions of years, if not over a billion years, we're going to end up in a, we're, we're going to be a species that can only survive with the aid of our own constructions. Like we'll be effectively having to there. live in bubbles. I don't think we are. I think if you take a, you know, a pack of, let's say a hundred kids and you drop them off in the jungle, that you'll end up with a couple of strong kids surviving. I, I don't. Why? At what age? Mm, it's gotta be an age where they're, they have some sentience already. Okay. Uh, and then what tools do they have? Because I, I think man, man is incapable of surviving in the actual wild at this point in time without tools. I've watched plenty of episodes of Survivor Man, man. You can build tools. If you have the knowledge. Sure, if you have the knowledge. But you certainly have the capability. So it's really the knowledge that's the only piece. What I'm saying is we're going to go from you need knowledge to survive to no, you can't breathe the atmosphere to survive because you're just an amorphous blob that can only live inside of a, you know, a, a gas vat container because that's, that's where we've let things go too. Huh. So what do we do with diabetics today? Well, we shouldn't let them reproduce. That's what if it's, what if it's environmentally caused, not genetically caused? Well, then it's, then there's no issue with reproduction. Yeah. And I, I mean, like I'm totally open to talking about this shit. So I've got diabetes, my genetics, which I've had tested have a lower risk for diabetes by 4x. So my diabetes is 100% environmentally caused. So there's so, no, no issue with passing on bad genes for diabetes. But so, it doesn't mean that you can't have the disease. Okay, so should we require genetic tests and everything You know, Gattaca was a great blueprint for the uh -huh. future. Uh -huh. Yes, <laughs> yes. Ultimate totalitarian state. Not at all. It's totally voluntary. What are you talking about? If people want to make sure that their kids are healthier than they themselves are, 
There is nothing that should be standing in their way. I, I think playing around with genetics and eugenics is a very dangerous road to go down. Oh, I don't disagree that it's dangerous. I'm just saying we're doing the opposite right now with it. Look, it's, it's very humanitarian to try and save everybody. I'm just saying that it's contrary to what has gotten us to where we are. I, I, I think I'll we go, are the uh, products of a hundred million years of eugenics. Okay. I, I, I'm going to go be John and live on the reservation. Thanks. Well, the reservation only exists because of a hundred million years of eugenics. Yes. Reference to Brave New World, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that the... the uh, Which Brave New World is definitely the dystopian future we're living in. It's, yeah, well, I mean, it's a mix of all of them, right? There, there's plenty of 1984 that we're living in right now as well. That's very hard to argue. But yeah, Brave New World, 1984, then what's the other one? The It's usually the, the trilogy of the dystopian books that are all kind of... Have you ever said, Have you ever read The World Set Free? No. Predicted nuclear, nuclear war and how the world would change afterwards. And it, it's really mm -hmm. the idealized technocracy. Well, so the, here's a... In the last five minutes that we have here, because I know there's a hard stop here for both of us, but... So let's say that the, some, some warmongering happens and we do get into a hot war with nuclear weapons being used on both sides. Mm -hmm. You think that that's it? Humanity's over? No. Not everybody is going to get killed, right? There'll be plenty of people that survive. But do you think that we're incapable of going back to a pre-industrial society right now? Really? I think that's... I, I, I... I think that even with a limited engagement, if it, if you were to knock out the power grid in the U.S., mm -hmm. more people would die as a consequence of living without modern uh, the modern world than would die from the actual conflict. Mm -hmm. So, just if we just took out electricity, that would be sufficient enough, like for a prolonged period of time. Let's say a year, a year without electricity. What percentage of the population in the U.S. do you think would be dead? High 90s. Okay. So we go from, what, 350 million or whatever it is, or 400 million down to 40,000. 40, I, I mean, it would it would very much depend on, I, I don't know. Four, I mean, e even if you're a prepper, even if you've gone down that road and you think you're prepared, there's so many exigent 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 circumstances that would yeah. you know potentially get you you know uh, most of the diabetics unless they have ways of producing insulin themselves are done yep. for you have random accidents where you need life-saving treatment and you can't get it so you're done yeah, for. it's all still a pretty small percentage i mean most I people I, I i know because most people most people's immune systems are not healthy enough that they can fight off the common cold and or bacterial infections on their own. I mean, the look at how often people run to antibiotics to fight off, you know. Well, that's just stupid. But they do it. I know, but that's just stupid. Okay. And Maybe those people shouldn't survive. Food. Refrigeration's gone. So, yeah. you know, pe people don't know how to hunt. People the don't know people how to butcher are... animals. People don't know how yeah. to preserve meat. But, uh, okay, but those are, so some of those can be taught. Like you can teach somebody to hunt, you could teach somebody to butcher. So if there's one guy in a group that knows how to do that, 
you can teach people that. Okay, modern houses aren't equipped with a fireplace, so what are you going to do during winter? Exactly. So stuff like that is going to be a bigger problem because you can't light a fire in the middle of your house unless you knock out your roof, which kind of defeats the point of having the house. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, I, I think it's it, it would be very difficult for the vast majority of people to survive. A good book on that is Lucifer's Hammer. Jerry Pornell and Larry Niven, anytime they kind of teamed up, they did amazing stuff. And Lucifer's Hammer isn't, you know, a war scenario, but it is a catastrophe and, you know, how some people survive and some people don't. And mm -hmm. the devolution of man into cannibalism and everything else. And, you know, modern society and the tranquility that we live in is really predicated by three days worth of food and water. Yeah, I think certainly... Yeah, three days of food, I mean, people can go without food for three days. It's not a big deal. But water is definitely an issue. When, when the, if the water pumps stop and the water towers are no longer refilled and you turn on your faucet and nothing comes out of there, there's going to be mass panic. Mm -hmm. And we are, I think, pretty damn close to that in a lot of places in Europe. Because those water pumps are driven by gas. Well... And, you know, well, and electricity, but yeah, when you look at Texas, like we said, it's going to be 104, 106-ish, somewhere in between there here today. A lot of, without electricity, a lot of people die from heat exhaustion. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are borderline dehydrated pretty much chronically. And, you know, it doesn't take a lot to, for that person to end up with heat stroke. We are, we have weakened ourselves tremendously. And voluntarily. For the sake of convenience. Well, and I mean, I don't know about you, but I am very thankful for air conditioning. Yeah. I'd rather no, enjoy it. <laughs> dude, it got to 83 indoors yesterday, and I was not a happy camper. They turned up your thermostat again? Yeah, I don't know how. I mean, I thought I'd disable all that. Well, just disconnect it from the Wi-Fi. I guess I could, but I kind of like being able to control it myself from the Wi-Fi. Yeah. I'm going to go take a picture of my thermostat for you again. I mean, I could also just like, I could probably just, you know, get a different thermostat. Yeah. I don't, I don't have to. Yeah. Know. I mean, did you sign up for a program or? Yeah. Yeah. I signed up for it. Well, then there you go. I know, but I also unsigned up for it. Well, apparently they don't think so. Apparently once you sign up, you're on it permanently. Yeah. That's it. You're screwed. You, we get to control your, your temperature in your house. Who thinks that 83 is a reasonable temperature for inside the house in the government? Well, they may be assuming that you're not there during the day, that you're actually going to work and doing something. Yeah, but this is in the evening, like at 7 p.m. Wow. Like, that's, who's going to be eating dinner reasonable. at 83 degree temperatures? Look, I, I'm actually not that far from it normally because I, I have pet reptiles that like warmth. And so I kind of keep it at 78. So 78 to 83 is only five degrees difference, but it's well, not comfortable at 85 unless you're outside by the pool, having a drink and sitting in the sunshine. So he do an experiment. They may, why don't you lower the temperature from 78 to, you know, mm -hmm. 73 and see if they oh, don't raise it. They may just be raising it five degrees. You're right. Oh my God, I haven't thought of that. I think you're onto something. So may, maybe all they're doing is saying, bump it by five. Yep. 
And I'm bitching about what kind of idiot puts it at 83, but I'm the idiot that puts it on 78. <laughs> exactly. Okay, I'll put it on 75 and see if it goes to 80. Yeah. That, that's actually very, that's a very good point. I never thought of that. I, I, I would bet that's probably what they're doing. Yeah, that would actually make more sense, wouldn't it? It's just like, well, we'll just make people slightly uncomfortable because they're probably keeping it somewhere between 74 and 76. Yeah, so we'll make a five-degree adjustment to what they're uh-huh. used to. Yep. So, like, it'll be 78 or 79. Yep. Yep, you're probably right. All right, would somebody put everybody's houses at 83? That makes no <laughs> sense. And it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, and that on that note, let's wrap up, dude. I think we're in uh, at a good stopping point here. All right, Gene. We'll talk to you on the other side of this good, uh, good little chat trip. Good as usual. Have yourself a wonderful time in Florida. And yeah, let me know how things are, and then we'll be back. Yeah, later. And as always, thanks for joining me. Please do keep in mind that nothing in this podcast represents financial, legal, or medical advice. 